Great, do make sure uh, you can see James chapter 5, we're in the, the penultimate uh, sermon in our series in James. Uh, and before we come to the reading, I just want you to think back, if you were here, to last week uh, and how I asked you uh, about how someone you know well uh, would describe you, uh, what, what they would say about your life. Because uh, this week, I want you to think of that same person, uh, a friend, a family member, a colleague, someone like that. Uh, think of them and, and ask yourself, would they describe you as patient? Would that be a word that they use when they think of you? So-and-so is a patient guy. Uh, what are you like at waiting? How well do you cope with the, the queue at Lidl when it reaches the back of the shop? Uh, how well do you cope when uh, there are traffic lights on Leatherhead Road again? Um, what are you like at waiting? Maybe you're much better than I am. But in general, I think we're not great, are we? In general, we don't like waiting. And that's partly because we live in uh, an instant culture, a culture with Amazon Prime and 4G or 5G or whatever G we're on or, or Netflix. Uh, those things teach us, train us to think that waiting is bad. But it's also something in us, isn't it? It's something in us that uh, tends to think that the world should just run according to our time frame. And so interruptions and disruptions are just terrible things in the life of me. But the thing is, if you are a Christian here this evening, then that presents us with a problem. Our instant culture and our kind of chronic impatience are problems because the Christian life is all about waiting. As you read through the Bible, you quickly see that God's people are awaiting people. Whether it's uh, people in the Old Testament waiting for the coming Messiah, or, or believers in the New Testament waiting for his return, God's people are a people who wait. And it's waiting that is the theme of our passage this evening. So look down at James chapter 5, uh, and we're going to read James chapter 5, starting at verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Let's pray as we come to James chapter 5. Our loving Heavenly Father, we were reminded from your word this morning that you give us your Holy Spirit to help us see. To help us see ourselves clearly. To see our own hearts, our own sin. All the ways that we uh, don't listen to you, uh, but also to help us see our Saviour. 
to help us see the Lord Jesus through your word. And so, Father, we ask that this evening, as we look at these words, as we look at your word, the Spirit would help us to see Jesus clearly. Amen. Like I said, we're coming towards the end uh, of the letter, uh, of James's letter now. And if you've been with us over this last term, you'll know that James is writing to Christians who are scattered around the ancient world. Uh, these are believers who have been scattered uh, primarily by persecution, uh, which means they've had to go quickly. They've been forced to leave family, friends, homes, livelihoods. And the result is, it seems from James's letter, that at least some of these Christians are living in poverty. Lots of them are on the, the receiving end of some of that selfish, greedy behavior that we saw last week. They're, they're being oppressed and exploited by the rich. And really, there isn't very much they're able to do about it. And so James's big concern in the letter is that, that their circumstances, their suffering, their trials might cause them to lose sight of the gospel. I remember he began the letter talking about perseverance in the face of suffering. He encouraged the readers in chapter 1 to, to keep going in the trials they were facing. So chapter 1 verse 12, he said this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so James wants his suffering, oppressed Christian readers to keep their eyes fixed on the prize. To not become distracted or, or, or double-minded by some of the worldly wisdom that's going around. But to keep going and to receive the crown of life. James wants to encourage his suffering brothers and sisters. And in chapter 5, we see that he does that first by telling them to wait patiently. He says, wait patiently because Jesus is coming back. Just look at verse 7 again with me. Verse 7, he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. We've just thought about how we live in an instant culture. And it's so easy for that culture to affect us as Christians, to affect us as churches. There are plenty of churches, aren't there, that you could go to that don't like the idea of waiting. People who will tell you that you can have it all now as a Christian. Health, wealth, prosperity, they say those are promises for today. No need to wait. No need to suffer. True faith means enjoying all the blessings of God right here, right now. It wouldn't be difficult for us to find a church like that. But as always, we've got to be careful not to just hear God's word and then point the finger at someone else because the reality is we can be just the same, can't we? We might not go around promising health and wealth for today, but we do tend to live the Christian life with this sort of expectation that it'll feel good most of the time. But James says, no, 
No, the Christian life is not one of having it all now. It's a life of waiting patiently until then. Of course, we can enjoy the, the wonderful blessing of a relationship with God. Paul says in Ephesians that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is true today, if you have faith in him. But we must never lose sight of the fact that the gospel, in the gospel, the best is yet to come. And so James begins by this chapter by wanting to reassure his readers. He wants them, uh, the ones that he knows are experiencing injustice and exploitation at the hands of others, he wants them to know that the Lord sees and hears their suffering and that he will set things right. Jesus will come back, says James. So wait patiently. And then having said that, he gives three examples in the passage to show what that kind of patient waiting looks like. The first is there in verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. For people in James's day, farming was very familiar. If you weren't a farmer yourself, you probably knew one. And so James speaks in terms of something that everyone would have understood. He says, think uh, how the farmer must wait for the autumn and spring rains to come. Uh, Think how they work hard to prepare the soil, how they carefully sow their precious seed, uh, how they diligently keep the weeds at bay. Uh, The farmer works hard. They do everything they can to ensure a good crop, but then they must wait. Uh, They must wait. They, They know the rain's coming. It's not a question of if, but when. But they must wait. They wait with confidence. And James says the same is true for Christians. The Lord's return is not a question of if, but when. It is absolutely certain. That's what James means when he says in verse 8 that the Lord's coming is near. Christ's return is the next big thing in God's calendar. It is certain. It will happen. It could happen any time. Which means, just like the farmer, we, we work hard for the kingdom. We put our faith into action. We've seen that in James already, haven't we? We, we love people. We spread the gospel. We do all those things, but we do them with the certain knowledge that, that Christ will return. That Jesus will come back. And so Christians, says James, are are people who work and people who wait because the coming of the Lord is near. Uh, Next, he points us to the prophets uh, a bit further down in verse 10. Uh, Brothers and sisters, he says, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, James doesn't say exactly which prophets he has in mind, but when it comes to perseverance in suffering, his readers probably would have thought of someone like Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah's task was to preach God's judgment, and he suffered enormously as a result. Uh, He was betrayed, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, threatened with death, thrown into a pit. Uh, Jeremiah suffered Yet despite all that, he remained faithful to his calling. He spoke in the name of the Lord. 
no matter what suffering or trial he faced. And I think, as I was reading this earlier in the week, that, that James's example of Jeremiah probably made a lot more sense to his original readers than it does to us today. You see, it's really easy, isn't it, for 21st century Western Christians, Christians like us, to feel as though comfort and relatively low-level opposition are the kind of things we should expect in the Christian life. Whereas hardship, suffering, persecution, those things are abnormal, unusual, maybe even a sign that we're doing something wrong. That's certainly how I can be tempted to think. But that expectation doesn't come from the Bible, does it? In fact, the Bible gives us the opposite. The the Bible gives us the expectation that, that suffering and opposition will be familiar experiences for the Christian. We've seen this in John, haven't we? John chapter 15, it was, it was last Sunday morning. Jesus said, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Or at the start of James's letter, James spoke about when we face trials of many kinds, not if we face them. And so suffering of one kind or another is normal for God's people. It was normal for the prophets. It was normal for James's readers. And so like them, we should expect it. And James says, like the prophets, we should patiently endure it. One writer puts it like this. They say, it is part of our arrogant, sinful nature to assume that we are the first generation to ever truly experience the things we're going through. But James wants his readers to be clear that what they're facing, while by no means easy, is certainly not new. He says the prophets have gone through all of this before. And they've been faithful. They did their job. They spoke God's word. They ministered to God's people while they were suffering rather than waiting till the suffering went away. And so what James is calling us to do here is neither novel nor impossible. Suffering does not render us incapable of either serving or witnessing to Christ. The farmer, the prophets, and then thirdly, James points us to Job. Verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. If you've ever read the book of Job, you'll know that he was a man who experienced extreme trial and suffering. Danny's already pointed out that Job lost everything. His possessions, his home, his family, his health, all of it taken from him. Yet through it all, he was a man who trusted the Lord, who patiently persevered. Just listen to some of the things that Job said after all that loss. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
He goes on later to say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Now, there were other times that Job complained bitterly about his suffering. But despite those times, he never cursed God. He never stopped trusting the Lord. Job knew that his Redeemer lived. And so he trusted in what the Lord would finally bring about. He knew that his sufferings were not the end of the story. He knew that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so although he didn't have all the answers, he patiently persevered. And so James says to suffering, oppressed, downtrodden Christians, you know that same God. The God of the prophets, the God of Job, he is your God. He is the father of heavenly lights, the one who doesn't change like shifting shadows. The Lord who is full of compassion and mercy, you know him. And that same God has promised that one day Jesus will return. That he'll come back and he will right all wrongs. He will get rid of all injustice. So, brothers and sisters, wait patiently until that day. Hold on. Stand firm. Because the Lord is near. Wait patiently because Jesus is coming back. And then secondly, speak carefully because Jesus will judge. Look at verse 9 with me. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James returns to one of his big themes in his letter, the theme of our speech, how we use our tongue. And we can see the link here, can't we? Because... So often, often suffering at whatever level can cause us to complain, to grumble, to fight with other people, even people who are not the cause of our suffering. We know from the rest of this letter, we've seen that there is some sort of inequality in the churches. Chapter 1, James spoke about rich and poor believers. Chapter 2, he warned against giving special treatment to the rich. And so you can imagine how these issues of wealth and poverty, it could have caused some of these Christians to start complaining at each other, to groan about others in the church. It's not hard for us to see how a condescending attitude or an unhelpful comment of a wealthy church member could lead to bitterness, envy, complaining from those less well-off. There you are, worrying about your your lack of work, uh, wondering whether you can afford the rent or the the shopping that week. And in walks Mr. Rich, just back from his latest holiday, uh, complaining about the fact that his new car hasn't been delivered to the drive yet. It would be easy, wouldn't it, to, to grumble and to complain, to say, they have no idea what I'm going through. No idea what real life is like. To be resentful of others, of what they have. I think one of the ways that we feel this in the UK is in the area of class. 
A few months ago, I watched a, a BBC program called How the Middle Class Ruined Britain. And whilst there might have been some valid points in there, the attitude was one of resentment, anger towards people who live in different circumstances. And it's so easy, so easy for that resentment and that anger to just creep into the church. To feel bitter towards those posh Christians over there. Those privileged believers down the road. We don't know anything about them. We don't know who they are or or how they use their money, but that doesn't matter. We feel we have the right to judge them. But here James says no. Now be careful how you speak. Remember chapter 3 that your words are powerful. That they can be destructive when put to evil use. Cursing, slander, judgmental speech. Those are all things James has warned us about. And so he says don't grumble. Don't complain. Because verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. Because Jesus will come back. And he will come back to judge. And just listen to what Jesus the judge says about these things in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. James and Jesus are clear, aren't they? Our words matter. They matter because of the effect they have on other people. And they matter because they reveal what's going on inside us. Because they come from the heart. So be careful how you speak, says James. Don't grumble. And then verse 12, don't lie. Verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, don't swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. I was talking to a friend recently who has recently moved to the UK. And I asked him what he noticed about British culture. Do you know one of the things he said? was that we lie a lot. He said that we think we're being polite when we say things like, oh, I'll try to make it. I'd love to be there. But in reality, we have no intention of making it or being there wherever there is. We, we lie. Much better to say, to be honest, he said, and, and just say, I can't make it. Say what you mean. And James says something similar here, doesn't he? He says, we're to be people who mean what we say and say what we mean. To let our yes be yes and our no be no. And the reason that James brings this up at this point is, well, because being under pressure can lead us to grumble about others, but it can also lead us to to rash speech, to to dishonest words and empty half-truths. Just think back to some of the things that we've heard in the last few weeks. In chapter 4, we heard about self-promoting gossip and slander that was going on in the church. 
And so you can imagine, can't you, the temptation for someone on the receiving end of those things to want to get their own back, to fight fire with fire and spread a few false rumors of their own. And then there was the self-sufficient pride at the end of chapter 4. Those people who brag and boast about all that they're doing and achieving. And so maybe you feel like you also need to exaggerate a little bit. To make yourself look a little bit more impressive to the other people at church. To those around you. And then there was the self-indulgent wealthy at the start of chapter 5. And maybe as you heard about their fancy holidays and their nice homes, you became increasingly jealous. You want what they've got. And so you start to tell the odd lie. Make the odd unrealistic promise. Cover up some of your mistakes because, well, that clearly is the way to, to get on, to make progress, to make money in life, it seems. But James says, no, don't, don't do that. Don't be tempted towards half-truths and exaggerations. Don't say one thing but then do another. Don't be double-minded in what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He says, focus on, on what God has given you. And remember what God has promised you. God has given you new life through the word of truth. We saw that back in chapter 1. He's given you wisdom from above. Wisdom that leads to humility and love. And so that means we need to be people who speak the truth. And speak the truth in love. Rather than those who grumble and lie. And remember as well what God has promised you. Chapter 1, verse 12, again, James says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James says we can be absolutely certain that Jesus will come back, that the Lord's coming is near, the judge is at the door. We can be certain of those things because God has promised it. Jesus will come back. And when he, when he does, his people who have experienced suffering, his people who have experienced hardship, they will receive the crown of life. And so James says, wait patiently. Wait patiently because you know Jesus will come back. Because you know that on that day he will right every wrong, he will wipe every tear from every eye, every bit of suffering and death will no longer be a reality for his people. Wait patiently. Don't grumble. Don't lie. Trust the Lord who will return. And then it says in verse 13, wait prayerfully. Don't use your tongue to grumble or to lie, but instead use it to talk to your Father in heaven. And we're going to think about what, it, what waiting prayerfully looks like next week. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonderful gospel promise that those who persevere, those who keep going, who keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, will receive the crown of life. Father, we thank you that, again, as we've thought about today, that 
we can't do those things on our own, but that you give us your spirit to help us keep going. Your spirit who helps us to stand firm in the gospel, to stand firm in your grace, to keep trusting Jesus, to keep walking with him. Father, we ask that this week, whatever we face, whatever suffering or trial might come our way, that by your spirit, you would help us to persevere until that glorious day that we receive the crown of life from our Savior. And we ask it in his name. Amen.